0: Welcome to Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 Podcast, where every two weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Ryan Costello, one of the hosts of the show, one of the designers of the Essence 20 system, one of the authors on the G.I. Joe, Transformers, and my Little Pony role-playing game core rulebooks from Renegade, uh, you know, using the Essence 20 game that we're Talking about here. That's, that's right. why I'm bringing it up.
1: <laughs> oh, is that why you keep bringing it yeah, up? In case you were wondering.
0: I was wondering. Why does he keep
1: telling me this? I already know. Now, uh, hi, I'm Jason Keely. I'm Renegade Game Studios uh RPG designer. And that's the end of my credits. I've designer. I thought you were a developer. Developer, yes. Sorry. Oh, geez. Uh uh, no, no change in no change in title. I'm a developer. Uh I I was thinking of I was literally thinking of some other things, uh, and
0: uh, my brain just uh, gave out on me. All right, off to a good start, Jason.
1: So good. This is going to be a great episode.
0: We've already got our personality out there, which is what's important.
1: <laughs> and
0: my personality is screw up. Oh, no, hey, that's the self
1: deprecating humor that I'm known so and loved so well for. Chewing your self deprecating humor. Yeah, I'm always going to deprecate myself right in front of people, too. It's really not <laughs> great. All right, now I've gotten into I guess I've got, I guess I feel really weird today. <laughs>
0: Let's see how this episode goes. Yeah. We are talking about an Essence 20 release, Operation Cold Iron, a book that in my head I have a physical copy of, but I don't. I've been working <laughs> off the PDF.
1: No no one does. No one has a physical copy. No one cop does. Ever. Yeah, it hasn't
0: even gone out yet, but the PDF was sent out to pre-orders, so the the people that support Renegade, they get benefits like that. They get early mm-hmm. access to the PDFs. And so it's been in pre-order customers' hands for a few weeks now. Is yeah. it? All the way up to a month? Has it been that long? I don't think so. Three weeks at most. I want to say. My mental timeline of a product of how long it's been out yeah. changes as soon as the PDF gets out. Now it just feels like Operation Cold Iron's been out forever, <laughs> when technically it's not even in anyone's hands. Yeah. Uh, it went out October 18th. It is October oh, 29th. Yeah. As okay. Of this recording.
1: Not not even two. Yeah.
0: So we're going to be doing our first breakdown on Upshift. Now, mm-hmm. the difference between a breakdown and a review is that we are completely biased <laughs> the, the idea of the breakdowns came from no direction where more and more staff on our network was working for paizo and so True. it was harder and harder to have an unbiased opinion about the products that were coming out because somebody on the network guaranteed worked on some part some of the part of it yeah. especially when uh luis got hired by paizo as a developer and we were reviewing like half of the books we were reviewing were the books that he was in charge of <laughs> yeah so we changed from reviews to breakdown format where we would just go over the book. We would usually have one of the authors or the developer on, just like get insight into how the book worked. In this case, I'm one of the authors and Jason, you are credited as mm. the developer. Is this your first published Renegade credit?
1: I think it is. I don't know if the G- Transformers GM screen is going to come out after this. So that'll probably be my second one. Yeah, that... It-
0: I think people have the PDF of that, right. or at least the adventure that comes with the GM screen. All right, the race is on.
1: Yeah, they worked on them about uh, around about the same time, so I don't know which one. I don't quite. Re- I've only been speaking of time passing. I feel like I've only been yeah. a Renegade since like you know the beginning of uh, August or the end of August, beginning of August, but it feels like much longer.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it also feels like it, it. It's kind of surprising that just given the the printing issues and stuff that we've been facing mm. that you have been with Renegade for so short, but you managed to get a development pass in on these books that are coming out so soon.
1: Indeed. Well, yeah. Uh, and we can talk a little bit uh, more about that later in this episode, because it was uh, a speed run. Oh yeah. Yes. Well, because it was just, sort of, it was more so meant to be a sort of a last checks. Uh, my, my, my development pass on it, because it had been worked on by other people and which we will you know, I see in a moment.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So one last word before we get into this. We will be spoiling the adventure. I feel like the only way to really talk about this, other than just, like, even if we were just, say, we're going to talk about just the new options, talking about the threats, spoils Mm -hmm. elements of the adventure. So there's no real getting around it. So if you are interested in playing in this adventure, I will let you know when it's time for you to turn off the podcast. Sounds good. Operation Cold Iron is the first G.I. Joe RPG Adventure Series book. Uh, Jason, what is the Adventure Series?
1: For those of you who might be coming to us from other parts of the no direction family. Uh it's a bit, bit like an adventure path from from Paizo. Uh it is basically but all in one book. Uh so it's a hardcover collection uh that contains a few adventures. Uh I think they've all been or and will be four adventures. Uh, uh I think this is sort of the template that we've been using. Um and usually, you know, there's a theme as it all through it can tell one 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 campaign through, but if you need to uh uh pluck adventures out from the middle the they can be uh probably uh, with a, a a small amount of effort, sort of modified, so that you can run them by themselves.
0: Yeah, you were saying that it's something like so far they've all been four parts. I believe the only ones that have ever been officially announced are this and Adventures in Angel Grove for mm. Power Rangers. Yes. But even like in the Transformers uh, chat on Discord, people are saying like there's no adventure book released or announced yet. But here's the pattern of releases for the other two games. Yes. I bet we're getting a Transformers adventure book.
1: Yes. We're not announcing it. I'm not saying a thing about it.
0: We don't know anything about this. I do know a thing about it, but I'm not saying. Oh, all right. Actually, that's a good time to uh, throw out the disclaimer that while we both work for Renegade in some capacity, this is not a Renegade podcast. And we are not, this is not the official word from Renegade. This is just our two opinions as fans with some insight into some of these products. Indeed. Operation Cold Iron was written by Justin Bell, myself, Ben Heisler, Paige Lightman. Now, people are familiar with me, and if you've read the core rulebook, you should be familiar with Ben and Paige. They wrote the core rulebook with mm-hmm. me for the Judge role-playing game. Uh, they wrote the adventure for um, Transformers, the one that's coming with the GM screen. Oh, great. Yes. And they've been working on several yeah. Essence 20 products. So they were on the team from the beginning, and they continue to be active members of the the Essence 20 design freelance team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not, it's not a official team. We don't work for <laughs> Renegade. We just do jobs for Renegade.
1: And if you can find them, you can hire <laughs> Ryan, Van, and Page.
0: Justin Bell, however, is the first new addition to the uh, G.I. Joe writing team. And he is a, an influencer who has been mm. part of the G.I. Joe online community, like the collectors community for decades at this point, which Ooh. is kind of, Wild when you think about just how far back it goes. Justin runs a blog called Generals Joes, or at least now it's going under Generals Joes Reborn because he lost access to his original website, unfortunately. Oh, no. Yeah, but he also, he's the person who put together Sigma Six Central, which is like the definitive resource for G.I. Joe Sigma Six. Mm -hmm. And he did a cops website that uh, I don't know if it's still up, but cops is like the cyber cops fighting crime in a future time cops. Not bad boys, bad boys. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Uh, is that, a, is that an, know, an acronym? I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, toys from the 80s. Oh, okay. uh, cops were kind of like six-inch versions of G.I. Joe's. Like, they had the same articulation as oh, G.I. Joe. Okay. They had an elastic holding them together. But uh, they were larger. They were all police officers with, like, future tech because this was mm-hmm. fighting crime in a future time was the tagline of the series. Um, and they all came with some kind of cap. So, you know, cap guns. So everyone either oh. had a weapon with a cap feature or it was integrated into them. Like, hmm. oh, what's his name? Buttons Boom Boom, I think, was a guy <laughs> who had a gun that came out of his robot torso. And you can feed a cap through that. Uh,
1: buttons Boom is the name of a gangster.
0: I yep. That's my opinion on
1: that. It's not a name. Oh, of yeah. A he's cop. one of the bad guys. Oh, he was. OK, good. Okay. Yeah, it was okay, cops were... and crooks. He was, was one of the crooks. Them. All right. Fair enough. And I, I, I assume those are acronyms. C O P S C R
0: O O K S. I don't know. Just right. I'm just not gonna look it like up it. now. Yeah. But I'm That's I'm fair. pretty sure you're right. <laughs> uh, Justin also used to co-host the What's on Joe Mind podcast, and one of my favorite memories of that podcast is they were doing an episode on G.I. Joe Retaliation. So the second live action, uh sorry, live action That's G. I Joe yeah. movie that came out. Mm-hmm. And they had all just seen it, they were sharing their thoughts. And then as things were winding down, they were getting ready to close it up. And Justin just says, like, yeah, hold, hold on a minute, guys. Uh, I'm just working on something. So they stall for a few minutes. And then the director of G.I. Joe Retaliation comes on the podcast. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm really nervous right now. My new movie is out. Can I just hang out with some G.I. Joe fans? Oh, wow. And so Justin had just coordinated that over Twitter while they were recording this episode reviewing that movie. Which they didn't even give it a glowing review. They were yeah. like pretty happy with it. Okay, well. I didn't tell that to the director. But yeah, then they just chatted with the director for another like two hours of the podcast. Wowzers. So Justin has been a very active member of the G.I. Joe community. And when we were talking about bringing on additional writers, he uh, he's also a published novelist, I should mention. He is a professional writer. Oh, who also just happens to be a big G.I. Joe fan. And so, uh, yeah, when we were putting together a team for this product, I cashed in my chips. I said like, look, Let's do this. Let, we should bring Justin in. He would definitely be an asset for this team and this product.
1: That explains why you don't have any more chips,
0: Brian, I guess. Oh, I'm all out of chips. all out of
1: chips? No, you probably have... You have plenty of credit, probably. That yeah, I think I've got, built think. up some, some You could build up some extra then. chips, yeah, since then.
0: Uh, the book was developed by Jason Keeley, Brian C.P. Steele, and Elisa Teague. So, as you were saying, you uh, were brought in for, like, one last development yeah. run. So, I guess the majority of the time it was Elisa... Well, I'm not surprised. Elisa was the senior game designer at Renegade for the uh, the Essence 20 line. Um, She was doing most of the development, and uh, Brian C.P. Steele is another designer on Essence 20. He is the author of Emerald Oubliette, the adventure that comes with the G.I. Joe GM screen. Uh, He's a writer on Power Rangers and Transformers, primarily beyond that. Uh, And I don't know how much development he's done, but it might have just been... He's someone that's familiar with the system at a time before the core rule books were out, so there were a handful of people that really knew what Essence 20 was, so we might have been brought in for that. Yeah, that makes sense. So you were saying that there was more to get into about how, uh, how the development went.
1: We, we can talk about like, it was sort of, yeah, it was like, it was pre, before it got put out, put on the page. And it was just kind of like, Hey, this needs to be, you know, kind of format, you know, check the formatting on it because we want to make sure that it's all, uh, uh, uh put together well, and maybe take kind of like kind of an editing pass on it. I would, I would say, uh, sort of, a, a, a big final editing pass. Um, and, but, you know, uh, 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 being who I am, I made a couple of tweaks um, okay. because there were a couple of places I was like, oh, this could be a little stronger uh, and, uh, and you know, reorganizing some things and 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 uh, uh, making sure that, you know, just sort of making sure that when it gets laid out, it, it doesn't take um, – you know, extra two weeks to make sure that everything looks the way it's supposed to look, right? We we what we do when we well, this sort of thing is make sure that in the word document it's got certain sort of styles applied to the text, and then uh, our layout team, which I'm pretty sure uh, on this one was Sarah Robinson, uh, uh, yeah, graphic designer Sarah Robinson, uh, 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 takes that and puts it into basically you know Adobe uh, InDesign, and when 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 she grabs the text, it comes over, and she's got styles built into that that. Make sure that when, you know, this level of header has an underline under, you know, this sort of thing is blue text or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. The sidebars, whether they look the way they do, because I went through a little bit earlier and I did that it uh in about four days, which for a book of oh, wow. this size is very, very fast.
0: <laughs> so now I do use the built in headers in Google Docs, but I don't know if they're compatible with what she has to do?
1: I don't think they are. I mean, it's yeah. one of the big parts of my job is to make sure that the thing is uh, formatted correctly for mm-hmm. the layout, the graphic design of the of the book. Um, so oftentimes um, that does mean <laughs> uh, taking a, a document that someone has worked hard on and stripping out all those sort of headers, uh, not, not, not the text of them, just sort of all in the kind of formatting and then reapplying the formatting.
0: So headers, I, I, I find that one easy, but the thing that I uh, put a lot of time and effort into is bolding when it should be bold. Like apparently all skill tests should be bolded. That yes. wasn't necessarily the case at the beginning. And still trying to figure out which words we... Officially capitalized. Which ones we don't?
1: Yeah, there was a lot of me going through and just sort of making some decisions too. I think. Yeah. Uh, and those four days, I'd be like, okay, I've seen this a couple times because I, I, I'd read all the corporate books at that point. I I'd maybe I think I did do a little bit of the GM screen uh, at that point, and and making some snap decisions that are like, okay, this now, well, this doesn't feel like it should be capitalized anymore. I think it's fine mm. if it's not capitalized from now on, right? So there's so so as you as as you go through all of these these upcoming products that are happening from uh, uh, this book on, and I, I think there's going to be you'll see some evolution, maybe a little bit, some changing. I'm gonna try to keep things generally the same, like bolding of the skill test and making sure that they're worded, you know, that how they're worded is sort of the same. But being the the the, the main developer uh, on all of these lines, uh, most of these lines, I should say, I like things a certain way and mm-hmm. it's my it's a, it's my prerogative to make them that way
0: now i've done almost a dozen products at this point for renegade mm. and i don't think i've had the same format instructions or the same style guide for any two products in a that
1: restaurant. is unfortunate and <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's just one of those things that's like it's going to keep happening if there's you know you mm. know keep happening but like for for, for someone like me I'm, I'm always sort of thinking uh, uh, about how to change these things how to how to make them better how to make them more readable and whatnot and it's not necessary i don't feel like we should be locked into a certain way uh, uh uh until we get it pretty good right and then we can say oh this right. is pretty much it. unless something drastically changes like oh this you know oh my gosh that just never worked uh we better change it uh, hopefully we were in a pretty stable ground in, yeah i think in a couple so. So months between
0: come. the one that i turned in a couple of weeks ago and the one that i've just got assigned a whole new a document came out that really is like a lot more formalized and it feels yeah. a lot more like these are the concrete plans going forward. Yeah, that's so it. So, get used to those, Cause gotta cause gotta get used to those. Be around for a while.
1: I hope they'll be around for a while. Yeah,
0: yeah. As opposed to when we did Operation Cold Iron, which was a little bit wild west mm-hmm. in how it was approached, we went from when we were designing the core rule books, even though each book had its team most of the time we would do these giant meetings with everyone on the design team for essence 20 so that as the system was being uh, designed and developed we would then go and take the latest development in the system and apply it to our core rulebook so it was like regular meetings of the giant staff including Elisa and like every all the decision makers at mm-hmm. Renegade involved in the role playing game and then we had turned that book over this was one of the first projects that we got afterwards in fact i'm pretty sure like within weeks of the core rulebook being turned over we got the uh, Operation Cold Iron assignment, and it was just us. It was just the four of us. We didn't really feel like there was anyone that was specifically in charge of the project, mm. and uh, we didn't have a format for what the adventures should look like. So um, when we turned it over, we okay. had this... Let me tell you a story. When I was in high sure. school, okay, we, uh, we had a woodworking class, I think what Americans call shop, mm-hmm. and uh, we were supposed to design a model house and me and a friend of mine decided, oh, what if we did a semi detached? So we would each design the same house. And then when you put them together, it would just be one long continuous house that, you know, each mm-hmm. one serves its purpose as a single house. It's like, yeah, sure, that's a fun idea. And so we did it. And then when we joined them together, they were perfect, except one roof was like, you know, this, uh, maybe a 30 degree angle. Mm-hmm. One roof was closer to a 90 degree angle, mm-hmm. and the roofs did not line up at all. So mm-hmm. we had a lot of that when this was turned over. So if people have looked through it, and see things like the flowcharts for the adventures. The flowcharts were in parts one and two, which were done by Ben and Page, but not in parts three and four, which were done by Justin and I, because we didn't think to do those adventure flowcharts.
1: Right, no one said.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the way threats were handled, uh, Ben and Page did an appendix at the end of each of their adventures. Whereas we just, if it was a threat that was in the core rulebook, we said, just go to the core rulebook. This threat already exists. And when it was a new one, we just put it in right there where Mm -hmm. you would need it. Yeah, and so that was all gathered up at some point in development and just uh, put into one Operation Cold Iron appendix at the back of the book. Yeah, so there was just a lot of things like that where it's like mostly this stuff works, it flows, the story makes sense, it's, yeah. it's all the beats that we wanted, but the presentation was quite different in parts.
1: Yeah, that is a a, 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 a a big part of it. I I think it's an important part. I mean, it's important to get the plot right and all the. Yeah ideas behind the plot and what's going on uh, down pat. But you also need to have similar styles, similar guides, similar s- templates maybe even to sort of help you help authors get through a, a book and, and, and write it so that when it's all in one big hardcover, it kind of looks like, not that it was written by the same person, but at least was written by people who were, were you know uh, <laughs> on the same page, right? But but then again, the, I mean, this sort of the uh, developer's job, in my opinion. To, when it comes to this, it was it was it's a big part of my job when I worked on the Starfinder Adventure Pass. It was sort of just making sure that all of these people could talk to one another if need be, or and then give them a directive from from high up at the very beginning. This is where this should go. ABC, and you know, when you uh uh, uh do every hopefully do a project for me back then or in the future uh, no matter who I'm working for I will be providing you with the the guides to sort of help you figure out how to do the thing I've asked you to do does that make if that makes sense
0: that does make sense so now I do take it upon myself to try and do uh, try and give my developer the least amount of work possible
1: yes so, of course I love it yeah, yeah. so
0: I I I'm I'm on the opposite side of what you're saying I want to make sure that things are as by the book as it leads to by what's been established up until yeah. that point, as I can. Um, one of the advantages of us not having the guidelines is that I think uh, the, the improvisation that we made informed the guidelines. So yeah. right now the, the idea of an adventure flowchart that is now I think standard across renegade adventures.
1: I think oh. so. I mean, okay. I, 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 since this was one of the first things I worked on, I mm-hmm. took this as sort of starting ground for the template for how, adventures might look in the future, uh, if there are going to be any uh a wink uh, and uh, <laughs> uh and uh, you know the flowchart idea was interesting because there's another uh, a thing that i was looking at that sort of talked about uh flowcharts and i'm like okay oh, yeah, yeah these are these this can be helpful and it has a nice graphical element right at the beginning that you can look at and kind of uh, uh well there's also some so people know there's also some text that has an overview of each chapter which uh what we're calling each adventure in this uh that says here's part 1 part 2 part 3 for whatever how many parts there are and here's what kind of generally happens in those parts uh, and then you can also look at the flowchart to be like, oh, maybe there's a part where you there's you know, a section where like, oh, uh, the way these go, uh, uh, players could do A, B, or C in any order, because the flowchart kind of smooshes it together, mm-hmm. and then go then it flows to part D, right? And it, it all kind of goes down river, right? So uh, hopefully the flowcharts won't get too complicated, but hopefully they won't be boring either.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I do worry that my adventures might come off a little linear just because of how it looks on the flowchart, but... I do believe that I give a lot of player agency to the direction of things even if Indeed. you're going from one chunk to the next pretty much in a straight line.
1: The thing about adventure rewritten adventures is that they are going to be a little bit linear. They by by the nature of storytelling and the nature of what you can write there's going to be some linear linearity. Is that even a word? I don't know. Um uh, so I think what uh, I think that's what people Hopefully people understand that when they buy an adventure, a pre-written adventure, and when they're playing in a pre-written adventure, that the GM has done this because they don't have the time or the capacity uh, or feel like they have the time and the capacity to make their own stuff up and be able to sort of lay on the floor, you know, put things out. Uh, I love running pre-written adventures because it has a lot of things but i also uh when i don't have one i am always laying the tracks out ahead of me (laughs) as i'm running most of the time especially in a one shot and i'm just like oh i have some ideas of what's going to happen and then people like immediately when i have an idea of something's going to happen someone in the another player is going to be like oh what if we did this i was like, I didn't think of that so let's just go with that and i'll just see (laughs) i've got some ideas i'll try to push them back into the into the into frame basically uh but uh uh yeah, you know, as I was saying, pre-written adventures kind of have to have a structure. And, and you know, pre-written adventures can go like, oh, this part where you can do A, B, or C in any order. That's the sort of branching structure that I think is most easy to write in a pre-written adventure.
0: All right, the last credits that I've cherry-picked for our list here is mm-hmm. The artists. So I just want to give a shout-out to Steve Morris for this cover. Not only does it look incredible, it's pretty exciting for me personally in that I only wrote one of the four adventures in here. But this art is uh, the final scene of my oh, yeah. final adventure, so it is cool that like I got to see that specific scene laid out with Snake Eyes, uh, Flint, Lady J. All three of those are some of my favorite Joes. Yeah, we've got uh, the the snake armor is front and center. So like it's not really a spoiler to say that snake armor shows up and plays a some armor. Yeah. in this adventure, uh, we've got Cover Girl off to one side, Snow Job, <laughs> who I am shocked how often he's shown up in art in these books (laughs) because i've avoided any mention of snow job because i think he has the dumbest code name
1: it's a weird name and and he's i don't know who he's looking at and he's looking
0: back towards the towards the the viewer he's looking at the reader hey
1: come on we're going to some
0: (laughs) place cold
1: let's do it
0: we can't do this without you is what he's saying yeah there you go
1: he does raising his to
0: say yo joe i think uh, some of the other artists, uh, Robert Atkins, who has done some book, uh, some work on the Core Rulebook and is just, he does work on the IDW comic book. He is incredible and he has an encyclopedic knowledge of G.I. Joe. Like, so nice. often he'll get the art order, he'll do the the foreground scene like he's asked, and then he'll just add a little background element that he knows <laughs> completely works in it. Like, uh, he did the Renegade art, so the, the Renegade uh, role. He well, did the art in- for the Renegade role and it's Taurus front and center. But in the background, you can see Mercer, who is another renegade from G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah. Like, the renegades are a subgroup within G.I. Joe. And so, like, he knows what makes the most sense to be adding in the background just to, like, add to the art. And it's, I guess, just bonus art because it's not been asked for. He's being paid for what's in the foreground, but he's adding these really specific details in the background. Uh, The rest of the artists I'm not as familiar with. Jasper Hathaway, Fernando Lopez, Goncalo Lopez, Steve Morris, Brian Shearer, uh, and Hasbro provided art. I am familiar with Hasbro provided art. They do good <laughs> yes, work. they do they do some good work. Uh, but there is a fair amount of original art in this, and mm-hmm. it is geared towards the you know the the actual adventures. So there's some really yep. fun um, artwork that opens some of the scenes. One of my favorite pieces is in Mission Three, which we'll get to. If you go to the table of contents, you can see. Oh, sorry, not the table of contents. The credit page. You can see the Snowcat is there, and Snowcat is one of those most iconic GI Joe vehicles to me. Uh, it's just got a cool look, cool shape, and you. Recognize it right away, which I think is important for the art that we're going to be using. We want to make sure that the stuff that we're putting out there is the stuff that people who no, maybe no. even are only like fairly familiar with GI Joe will recognize that and be you know the memories will wash over them. <laughs> Indeed. But I think we are ready to get to spoilers. So Let's if you it. are not planning on GMing this adventure, then I recommend you uh, say goodbye now. We'll uh, we'll see you next time.
1: We'll we'll be back. Okay, now that they're gone. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Man, players are dumb.
1: <laughs> oh, I wasn't going to go there. Oh, you got mean, Ryan. <laughs> oh, well, I thought that was, I don't know. I thought we were. I was going to say how much
0: like, I like players
1: and how much I respect my uh, uh players. I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to embarrass
0: them while they were here. Oh, that's what I meant too. I didn't want to embarrass anyone. <laughs> I do want to start with a couple of warnings. For people that are planning on GMing it, there's a couple of things in the uh, introduction that I think need to be brought to people's attention. One of them is that it says, if you have not played Snake Pit, the adventure from the JoJo role-playing game core rulebook, and Emerald Oubliette, the adventure from the Game Master Screen, stop reading now. It's in capitals with an exclamation point. There's these, this adventure is completely unrelated to those two adventures. It's true. So if you have purchased this book and the book is telling you to stop reading, <laughs> I can just assure you, you can actually ignore that part.
1: Yes. I mean, I think it's stop now, because if you're planning to play through this adventure series, stop reading now. The rest of this book is full of
0: secrets. and. It's... Sure. Well, so the whole sentence is, if you are a player that has not played through that adventure, or yes. are planning on playing through it. it so the yeah. second half, yes, I agree with. Yeah. If you are that playing first through happened. this, don't read it. But if you have not played Snake Pit or Emerald Doubliette, you're okay to read this entire book and it will not spoil either of those adventures. That's true. Uh, I, there's also... I was surprised that I could not find a conclusive answer to this of hmm. what levels the adventures should be starting at because it says in the introduction, uh, in each part it says, like here, Slithering About is second level, uh, Rig Up is third level, From October with Love is fourth level, and Panic in the North, on the North Plains is fifth level. But then if you go to the opening of each chapter, it's off by one. So page six says Slithering About is a multi-part mission for a team of four to six third-level Joes and a game master. What? It does? It does, yeah. The PDF so, I'm uh, looking at
1: says second-level for mission one. On page six? Yes. Three to six second-level characters. Why does my PDF
0: say something else?
1: I might be looking at some uh,
0: official... <laughs> Behind-the-scenes oh, documents,
1: because okay. I don't have the full download uh, at the moment. That's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I thought it would be an easy answer if you just go to Emerald Oubliette and see what advent- what level you would be at the end of that. Emerald Oubliette doesn't mention anywhere what level it's supposed to be. Oh, that's... Okay. It was either level one or level two, I, I, uh, with I... Snake Pit being the adventure that would yeah. get you to level two. But it's never written anywhere, and at the end it says you should level up your characters. And so it doesn't say you oh. should level them to a certain level. Right. It just says level them up. I recommend going with the, the higher numbers, the ones that are at the uh, opening pages, just because, hmm. uh, like like you see in Mission 1, Slithering about there are his tanks in there, and if you have to face his tanks as a second-level character, that's going to be quite a fight. But if you are third-level characters, you are a little better equipped for it. So... Maybe it's just me coddling my players, but I do think that... (laughs) Play Snake Pit, level your players to 2nd level. Play Emerald Ubliet as a 2nd level adventure, level them to 3rd, and then you can pick up from uh, Operation Cold Iron.
1: Or just start with a bunch of 3rd level characters if you want to.
0: Oh! Also an option, for sure. And then finally, each mission says that it takes 3-4 to hours. I think uh, maybe we should open that window up to 3 to. 12 hours. Sure. Given I, the Different groups.
1: Yeah. I, uh, uh, you know, uh, that's a certain part. It's a certain phrasing that I have, I think, uh, uh, done away. with. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, I didn't, I didn't, you know, we're going through this, you know, basically like first two weeks on the, on the job, not, not, you know, given about, you know, I just, let's go through this as quickly as possible kind of, uh, uh, imperative. Um, I w- didn't feel like I, had the authority to kind of like jump in and be like okay what about this when well, you know, ask all the questions but like, what you know what level should this actually start at what how much how, does this time estimate good i you know kind of assumed that someone else had taken a look at it and and gone through and made those
0: decisions i think we made the decisions but i think that we didn't want to scare people away by saying that this book will take you 50 hours to play in theory i right, know but that could be a selling point you get 50 hours of gameplay out of this yeah. book
1: uh uh you know that's why you just don't say anything <laughs> <laughs> takes as long as it takes you to get through it
0: i could see a really efficient group running it in four hours i have trouble seeing anyone running any of these missions in three hours unless Makes you sense. do all of the briefing in like <laughs> online and then as soon as you get yeah. there you get right into the game um but no i think four hours is really like a, a tight minimum and it could go up to 10 hours sure. for any yeah. individual part, maybe even a little bit more than that, depending on how much role playing your group does and yeah. how familiar everyone is with the rules. Yeah, that's. I mean, <laughs>
1: it's like a, a, a the time estimate on a, a board game box is I always add another at least 30 minutes if none of us have played the game before.
0: Yeah. Oh, even just for setup the first time.
1: Well, yeah, uh, the, the setup, doesn't inclu- setup is never included in that time mm-hmm. frame, honestly. So if you got a big game that takes a lot of setup,
0: yeah, add another half an hour at least. And maybe uh, like another chunk of time to play a couple of rounds, realize you got everything wrong, sure. restart okay. the game, restart but the now game. you can play it for real. Now you can play it for real, exactly. I just wanted to get those three points because I do feel like this uh, people that are listening to it are mostly going to be GMs hoping to run it. Mm-hmm. And so these are things that it would benefit them to call out. I didn't want to just like uh, sweep them under the rug and pretend that these wouldn't cause some confusion for gems. for the most part, going forward, I'm going to be extremely positive because I do really think this is a fun adventure. Yeah. And that uh, the four of us really put something uh, exciting together.
1: Yeah. 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 I agree. Cause it uh, just to sort of, you know, it goes all over the place uh, yes. in, a, in a good way and in a, in a, in a terrain way, it goes around yeah. the world and it's great.
0: So that's where, Mission 1 slithering about starts here. Like, if your GM is telling you, oh, yeah, let's play Operation Cold Iron, you're like, oh, I'm going to make somebody who's good at the cold. And (laughs) uh, Ben and Paige in their first adventure decide to go to the hottest place on Earth. Yeah. Just to mess with you. Uh, Dalal, Ethiopia, I believe, is. Yeah, Dalal, Ethiopia uh, literally registers the hottest temperatures on Earth most of the year. And apparently this is a place that Ben likes using in his uh, modern set adventures. So this isn't just something yeah. he pulled out of a hat or in some research. He was like, oh, great. I get to do an adventure. We're going back to Dalal, Ethiopia.
1: Nice. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah I, I remember doing a little, just sort of double checking that. I'm like, is that really? Oh, I'm going to check that on online. I'm like, yeah, it's hot. If you go to the this one part, it's just the worst. It's just as we're talking about spoilers. One of the yes. things that the Cobra is doing here is essentially testing a new trip of uh, refrigerant slash uh, coolant system. Uh, so what better place to test it than the under the most extreme conditions, because if it can work there, then they can deploy it. I guess on the sun, I don't know where Cobra else is gonna be going to be <laughs> hotter than the hottest place on earth, but you know, uh, 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 might as well do the stress tests.
0: Yeah. So the MacGuffin that kind of links the four adventures is heavy water. And uh, for people that remember the animated series, the mass device was a teleporter Cobra used, and there were three specific elements that they needed to power the mass device. And heavy water was one of the three. And so we've brought that back. We've given Mm, uh, a little more life to heavy water, which at that point was just an ingredient for the mass device. So now we uh, have written it as a coolant that lets Cobra operate in more extreme conditions. And uh, it works as a vehicle upgrade and, and, Uh, It's something that you can earn or uh, your players can earn and can uh, use to their benefit later on, depending on how well they perform in certain adventures. So it's actually, it's a MacGuffin that they could completely miss if Mm. they just make certain choices and fail certain skill tests. I mean, that is true.
1: Oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) it's fine. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this this has a nice, uh, this first adventure has a nice sort of, start off with some some infiltration some some investigation some impossible in- infiltration before getting to the trek out into the to the to the hot hot ethiopian desert and then a nice sort of punch up some cobras at a base at the end but not mean not maybe not storm in because you want to make sure you don't <laughs> kick the hive up uh all at once but uh uh it yeah it it it, it does it does all the it does kind of like a lot of things I like uh, adventures to
0: do. Yeah. And it's not an info dump of, Oh, here's everything you need to know about the next four adventures. It really right. is. You're doing some investigation. So you will very organically receive the information you need for this adventure with some hints at future adventures. Uh, and similarly, um, there's some uh, local flavor. So you will be meeting some local residents <laughs> and they slowly pepper in Cobra. So you slowly get the GI Joe setting uh, material. Yep. Like it, it's, I even as somebody who wrote one of the parts of this adventure I think <laughs> Slithering about might be the strongest of the four.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Uh,
0: Great. There is one thing I want to or actually there's a couple of things I want to call out. One of which is yeah. the idea of a commercial break. Oh, so yeah. um Ben and Page a lot of their style is giving a lot of the the uh, narrative direction that an adventure takes over to the players, which means that as the GM you may reach the final part of the adventure and you have to calculate what you're even doing now because of everything that your other players have done in the past. Luckily, you can find many great commercials from G.I. Joe (laughs) on YouTube, freely available online. So if you ever just need five, 10 minutes to gather your notes, make sure that you uh, take everything into account. Just set a tablet up on the table, play 15 minutes of G.I. Joe commercials (laughs) while you uh, try not to get distracted by them. Yes, and then uh, get ready for part four. So that is definitely it. part three of this adventure is the one that is. Uh, oh no, sorry. Am I? I might have my numbers wrong. No, no. It's part four is the one that has the most variability. Yeah, that leads to then a confrontation that there could be two his tanks, there could be no his tanks, and in theory, although the adventure doesn't really cover this, the players could have access to one or two his tanks and be the ones using them. I just wanted to bring this up as an option because even though the adventure just says if you find the his tanks here, multiple ways you can sabotage them, and doesn't actually say oh, yeah. you can steal them yourself. Get in there uh, if you go to the art on page six. I believe that Duke and a Joe have stolen this his tank, so even in the <laughs> art, it's suggesting that that is something the players will be doing. Yeah, and even if they don't see this piece of art, the idea of Joe's using Cobra vehicles uh, for getaways or for final confrontations. That's pretty standard fare for a lot of G.I. Joe media. So, and even just if you're just a role player and you see a vehicle <laughs> and it's yeah. like, hey, nobody's guarding it. Let's steal uh, it. So I think that I wouldn't give it the tanks for free just because they came across them. But if you can give them a technology skill test, a streetwise skill test, or uh, place the keys somewhere else and have uh, that as like a fetch quest so that there's at least two parts before they gain access to a tank that lets them uh, really dominate the final encounter. <laughs> because I do think that GMs should be prepared for the possibility that the players will be driving one or two his tanks. That's so true. I, I mean, I guess that's it for mission one. Did you have any final thoughts on it?
1: No, I mean, like you said, it, it, it does a, a great job of just being a, a, a good adventure that that really hits the Joe stuff in the right amount.
0: All right, then we're moving on to mission two: rig up. So this is a sub, uh, not a subterranean. This is this is the water level. This is the aquatic. Uh, we are bringing back the sharks. So sharks were introduced in the core book. They were used in Emerald D'oubliette, and now they're being used here. <laughs> I think GMs should expect people to be using sharks a lot in their adventures. Uh, one, because again, these are an iconic vehicle in GI Joe. Two, is that as an aquatic vehicle that can fly, you can mm-hmm. use them for multiple missions. Yeah. And the crew component is super useful in that you can have up to four people on this vehicle because of what are called the uh, rocket riders. Oh, or yeah. Instead of having torpedoes, you can have two people magnetized underneath. <laughs> and so uh, if only one person in your group has driving skills, yeah. all four of them can technically get into one vehicle and move to the uh, vehicle portion of the mission.
1: Uh, It it starts with that sort of fun, you know, underwater stuff that uh, leads you. So basically, the uh, the Joes here are uh, uh, following up on some. uh, What are they following up exactly? Some ship supplying. Uh, It's intel they gathered
0: in Ethiopia about the heavy water.
1: Yeah, that there might be someone supplying, and they, you know, uh, go towards that ship, but then realize that there's some uh, maybe an underwater base, and and go deeper. And then once that happens, the underwater base part is it's a little. Dungeon crawling, you know, in a lot, in a way, I would yep. say, because there's ways that the, the the you know it's not a linear tromp through the dungeon. It's sort of like uh, you could enter it from two different places, uh, and that depends on you know a, a, a what you just did underwater, and then sort of sneak around or just trying to kick the door. In, uh and and start guns a blazing to take out all the uh the dreadnocks that have uh taken over this actual uh base it's a it's an, an actual underwater area uh, that is I think testing um uh, or um, lab there's some lab personnel there that are basically kidnapped and uh the Dreadnoughts have have
0: taken over in the planning stages <laughs> of this adventure I propose that this would either feature the Dreadnoughts and we can use zanzibar who is the Dreadnought pirate Like he's Mm -hmm. a canonical character that the the Dreadnoughts have an actual pirate uh, (laughs) on their team. So it was either him and we filled a a advanced tech research station with just dumb bikers. So we have a nice contrast of like technology versus the people that are occupying it. Or the other option was we go with Cesspool, who is a Cobra's bioterrorist. And he's got his own uh, legion of troops. He's got the Toxo Vipers, the Sludge Vipers. And so we would just put it with people that are like uh, environmentally appropriate for this kind of research station. That if I were Cobra, I would probably sooner assign them than the biker mercenaries (laughs) to this mission. Uh, But if I were writing an episode about this, like a a cartoon or a comic about this, I would absolutely go with the Dreadnoughts. Uh, But I I gave those two proposals to Ben and Paige and uh, said, like, you know, these are the two things, the two directions I could see this going. And Ben was just like, I'm fine either way do you really have a preference? And I was like, I'm glad you asked, Ben. Because <laughs> when else do we get to use Zanzibar in his element? And it's about the right level for what uh, kind of a threat Zanzibar poses. Because mm-hmm. he's, not, he's not an A-list character. <laughs> no. He is somewhere past L. <laughs> oh no, that low. But in, <laughs> in a situation like this, he gets to shine because mm-hmm. he is in his element. He is the pirate in charge of a base full of dreadnoughts.
1: Indeed. Uh, and once you've sort of got through this, uh underwater base uh i like that there is a uh, uh, at the end has this exciting choice Zanzibar goes i've got a computer virus and he chucks it on the computer and it's going to end up blowing the place up or turning off all the life support so all those innocents are still inside are going to drown uh you can search to stop it or you can i'm gonna or you can choose to catch me sort of classic villain nonsense uh but also there's a chance that you could just do both <laughs> Like if yep. you've got a good of team who's who's just got the right amount of skills, uh, you can have someone stopping the computer virus or and doing things and then have someone else chasing Zanzibar in his... Uh, what the heck does he... The Sea Cat or something like that? Um, uh, he
0: is in the Sea Ray. Sea Ray. I like the Sea Ray, and it's, I'm really glad we have stats for it because it is kind of the Cobra equivalent of the shark in yep. that it can fly and can go underwater. Um, but Zanzibar actually came with a, a vehicle. You couldn't oh, really? just buy Zanzibar on a card. He has what's called his air skiff. And it was just like a little, basically a chair, like a jet chair. <laughs> um, I guess picture MODOK. Now picture somebody who sure. kicks MODOK out of his chair and, and that, now it's a it pirate sitting in it. Uh, so I, I'm not sure why Ben decided to go with that original vehicle instead of the one associated with can, uh, Zanzibar.
1: Can, can that thing go underwater? <laughs> it sounds like it's not no, an underwater it's a skiff, thing. So it, yeah.
0: it kind of hovers above water. Sea yeah. so ray is why. the more interesting vehicle and is the better vehicle for GMs to have in their arsenal. Uh, I'm just not sure uh, what motivated him to choose it over Zanzibar's trademark vehicle.
1: I guess we'll never know.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess I could ask Ben. You could just ask him. But uh, uh. to reflect what you were saying about how there's multiple ways you can go. If you go to the debriefing, yes, there's a cascade of, yeah. if this happened to read this, if this happened to read that. And I, I, I really appreciate how Ben and Paige are able to accommodate all the different ways that uh, players can advance through it. So that it really is like it feels like you have really dictated the direction the adventure goes. They did something similar earlier in this part of the, or in this mission where it's the different legs of the approach to the station. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And uh, each one is accompanied by a skill test and each skill test, if you fail, doesn't stop the mission, which is very important because you never want a skill test to like the entire, to bear the entire load of the mission. Uh, But they included some really interesting failure consequences like Uh, If you fail at number two, then your shark loses its aerial movement, which means that if you manage to chase Zanzibar and he flies away in the sea ray, then suddenly you can't pursue him because even though normally you can fly, now you couldn't. Like There's a lot of interesting different directions that this adventure can take. And I can see uh, groups wanting to replay it just knowing that there's multiple endings because it has kind of that choose-your-own-adventure vibe where you just want to see what uh, different... Uh, Way you could have handled it how that would play out
1: there uh, going back to what i was saying about how uh pre-written adventures can have that sort of linearness to them uh this sort of this sort of uh comes back to that because having uh choose your own adventure style like things in an adventure it's always it's a tricky prospect because you don't want to devote too much page space to something that 20 50 percent of the players are going to you know, GMs are going to use because then
0: GMs might feel like they're not getting what they paid for, right? You kind of want your range went from 20 to 50. I'm surprised you went as high as 50.
1: Yeah. Well, if you know, if you have like two paths, 50% yeah. might go one way. Maybe it could, you know, whatever. Um uh, uh so so it's sort of something that I was Talk, talked about a lot uh, uh, at Paizo too, about sort of like how much space do you give to sort of these alternate methods? And you want to give just enough to sort of give the uh, GM information so that if that's the, what happens, that's what happens. And to feel like it's chunky enough that it feels like a choice to go from A, to, a or B or C. Uh, but you don't want to take up pages and pages and pages because then it's just empty pages for some amount of GM. So, you know, and it's unfortunate, right. but it, what, that's sort of sometimes what dictates this linearity.
0: Now, I do think that they managed to balance it pretty well. Oh, oh yes, yes. And on top of it not taking up too much space in this mission, this is the one mission of four that is like this. Mm, so it's not like every single mission has multiple different directions that it could go. Because that would just be like hard be on the the GM mentally. Yes. And indeed. it would use up a lot of different space. So <laughs> uh a couple of them have parts that have multiple directions right. you can go. Yeah. But this is the only adventure that's really a lot more of a sandbox.
1: Yes. And, and, By and ironic, like you said,
0: it's underwater. It's underwater.
1: Like you said, in the debriefing, there's sort of these chunks that this happens and they're, they're very, they're very much a uh, binary. Like, did Zanzibar get away or did you get him? And they're just, here's a paragraph that I think it's uh, Scarlet says to you, uh, 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 you know, says, oh, you did, you got him. Good job. Oh, you didn't get him. He got away. Oh, that's too bad, Joe. Keep next time. Yeah. It's a bad job. Uh, but, but they don't take up a lot of space. These sort of extra, these little, little, little chunks so they all fit on basically one page and less than one page even uh and that's a great way to sort of now now basically you know there's six of them ish maybe seven the combinations well that's in the hundreds
0: and then uh the reward that's thrown on in the end is also you can gain access to every water coolant that cobra's been using if things go really well if you manage to preserve at least 50 percent of the data in the adventure so Again, it's fairly easy for a GM to keep track of whether or not that happened because it's not like you have to keep track of every single percentage of data Mm -hmm. and then figure out uh, how far across the line they went. It really is, if you succeed at this section, uh, you save more than 60% and therefore you uh, have checked that box.
1: Right, yeah. Classic. Classic sort of helpful note for for the GMs to be like, yeah, just run with it.
0: Brings us to mission three from October with love. So this is the mission that Justin wrote. And uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to bring Justin on besides just to give him the chance to officially work on a GI Joe product I knew he would appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was cause I knew that he really could bring a, uh, a depth of GI Joe knowledge that rivals mine and is also different from mine. And so yeah. I was looking forward to what, uh, you know, what his personal favorite parts are that he would want to bring into a mission. And so there's a lot of elements here that I would not have thought to bring in. Mm. Uh, specifically, Darklawn was a real surprise. <laughs> yes, that was very surprising. And uh, really just almost all of the villains in this, we've got uh, General Mayhem, who is an even deeper cut than Darklawn. He is the deepest cut that oh, has that. been published yeah. in Renegade at this point. And it's nice that he ties into the October Guard, who they're not a deep cut. They're kind of like a, a cult favorite. hmm In the G.I. Joe comics, when there was really just, you know, a a dozen Joes and the three Cobra action figures, but they had to make, you know, a new story about this small selection of characters every month. Fairly early on, in like the fifth issue or so, Larry Hama just decided, you know what, there's also Russian G.I. Joes. And he introduced the October Guard. He introduced, uh, I think, six dedicated characters right from the beginning. Mm. By the end of the comic, the roster had really only gone up to about 10 unique characters that we were introduced to and they show up fairly regularly over the next you know 150 issues and so uh we get to go know the october guard and actually they're more consistent as a roster of the main characters than the joes are throughout the comics the joes are always replaced by whatever new toys come out so one of the like benchmarks that you see throughout the comics is the october guard you get to know them you get to know their quirks and uh justin normally wanted to include the, the October guard in the section since um, I think early on, we were like, we're going to set this somewhere in Siberia at some right. point in the adventure. And so Justin was like, Oh, well then the October guard. And so to even gain access to part four of the adventure, yeah. you need to complete part three. Part three is the key that unlocks part four of the adventure.
1: Yeah. And it's all basically sort of gaining the favor of the October guard and just being like doing, doing some favors for them uh, making sure that the, uh, uh um, oh gosh i've forgotten colonel break off colonel colonel yeah the colonel is uh, happy with the joes enough that they're like yes you can go into siberia
0: so yeah and um, i like it's a mix of doing things that are good for for russia or for like mm-hmm. good politically and militarily and some of it's just sucking up to this one guy getting them yeah. his favorite cigars yeah them- exactly making him feel special
1: making him feel special so uh <laughs> so yeah there's some of that uh basically the beginning. but i think they're sort of bringing up what, what dark what Darklon is doing is running a club in switzerland <laughs> um and that's sort of in my mind i'm picturing you know there's some you can you want to get some intel on him uh having the joes go to the club uh in disguise just picturing them you know taking off their 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 regular uniforms and and putting on some like civilian clothing and trying to blend in I'm like yeah hey I'm dancing here not just
0: civilian clothing but like swiss fashion you got to fit and,
1: in yeah, got to really fit in yeah so that tickled that tickled me <laughs> there's other ways that you can you know get the intel and go in after dark or whatever but I really hope groups go
0: <laughs> undercover <laughs> on that note if you look at the dark lawn art this is not the dark lawn action figure the helmet is <laughs> And it's the color scheme, but the Darklawn action figure has, you know, armor and he has grenades mm. on his pants and stuff. But I guess this is casual Darklawn. This is, this is this is clubbing Darklawn. Yeah, because if they had just done regular military lawn in his club, it just wouldn't have worked. And so yeah, work. uh, the artist interpreted Darklon in uh, a more setting appropriate outfit.
1: This um, actually, this one part of the adventure actually goes to more places than any other part of the adventure. It starts in Switzerland. You go to another sort of uh, oil rig uh, in the, uh, on the ocean and then head back to Poland. So it kind of like bounces around a little bit, uh, but it's all in favor of just sort of doing these, uh, getting uh, on the colonel's good side.
0: Yeah, Justin, uh, like I talked about his credentials as like an author and as a G.I. Joe fan he has very little RPG experience. Sure, yeah. And so uh, I think he tried to cram a lot more ideas into one adventure than most yeah. uh, more experienced uh, adventure writers would have thought to. We managed to like compress it down into something that still worked. So we've got the fun scene where there's doing a lot of training with the October Guard. And that was mainly because we wanted to have scenes interacting with the October Guard, but we also wanted to have, Mechanical purpose to those scenes, mm-hmm, yeah. And so he based some of those on what we did with um, in Snake Pit, where the training scene in there. Right, yeah. uh, and then, yeah, you go to this club, so you get to do a lot of socializing. And again, like if you had if your players build a character knowing this is Cold Iron and thinking this is going to be an exploration scene, the you won't necessarily have a face in your party. And mm, so yeah. this will be a good opportunity to either give the person that did decide to put invest into the uh, the social skills. This will give them an tr- opportunity to shine. Which really, uh, mission one gives them a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And then this mission does this as mission well. Two, yeah. And then otherwise, they're kind of taking a backseat to the people that are uh, you know, yeah. more exploration-based and combat-based. Yeah. So I do like that that, uh, that balances out the different types of builds that this uh, the whole adventure series appeals to. Uh, and then we go to the International Research Station. Which this, I, I will admit, it's a little samey. Since we had just done an adventure in yeah. an Arctic underwater facility, um, and neither one of them could have like, I think we only realized that we'd kind of retread this ground um, way too late in their writing because this entire yeah. thing was written so that the Hydro Viper, which is an existing action figure, uh, and we have we have art for it in the back, I believe. But anyway, that's true. Yeah. Um, if uh, if you're not familiar with the Hydro Viper, so. The way G.I. Joes were designed is that uh, the designer would get a buck, which is just like a, a featureless but articulated action figure. Mm-hmm. And then they would sculpt on details on top of it. And every now and then they could shave off some to give it a different shape. Uh, the Hydro Viper has a webbed hand. And it is yeah. one of the only G.I. Joes that has a different shaped hand. And so, just based on that one webbed hand and the fact that it's one of the few action figures in the original line that calls out that, like, no, no. Cobra's into genetic manipulation. They're doing <laughs> some weird things to some of their troopers. Um, he Justin decided he wanted to do an entire alien type uh, yeah. part of the mission with the Hydro Viper as the alien. I think it worked out pretty well. Like I think the, the Hydro Viper, it being a very high threat level creature, means that even though it's a trooper and you know later on you can have adventures with multiple Hydro Vipers... We're treating it as one special yeah. kind of villain right now and it's unlike anything else in the entire adventure or really in the any of the threat sections of any of the G.I. Joe books up till this point. Yeah, hopefully
1: it had a tinge of horror in this, uh, in this one.
0: Uh, this map we had to revise several times because there's only yeah. a couple of rooms that were important, but we needed them spread out. We needed it to feel isolated yeah. and so that you couldn't just be in the central point of a corridor seeing all three of the major rooms. Yeah. Honestly, this section probably could have even done without a map and it just leave a little bit more to the imagination of how far apart these rooms are. That's fair. But uh, that's why we've got all these winding <laughs> corridors that would just be inconvenient on most <laughs> make... uh, RPG maps.
1: Yeah, what also doesn't make a whole lot of sense and, and the real world <laughs> either. But uh, what are you going to do?
0: Well, they were building this tube and then they hit uh, impenetrable rock underwater. And so they sure. had to take a turn. Well,
1: here's the thing too. It's like, here's, here's the thing that I, tweaked, I just let you know, too, is that it's oh, okay. not fully like the place is not underwater because we already went to an underwater base. This is kind of a mm-hmm. rig, like an oil rig on top of water where there are right. some areas that do do go underwater, but it's attached to the sort of main top part, which you don't really explore. You just sort of this part, which is flooding because mm-hmm. the Hydro Viper was been sabotaging stuff. So I kind of I think I, I may have been there. I think I, I brought it out a little bit more this sort of it, to make it as different as, as possible. From from an, a full underwater base, this is just a a, a a above water base that is flooding. If if that makes sense, right?
0: No, no, that makes sense. I'm I'm trying to remember earlier drafts to remember well, how I, much of that was changed.
1: There's a piece of art here that is an oil rig, and I had nothing to do with ordering the art.
0: Right. Well, and that so it's based on the tactical battle platform, which is a playset mm. that, that Joe had. And yeah, it is elevated out of the water. Yeah. Although you can not see there is a section that's submerged. Yeah. So so
1: I, I, I didn't I. I didn't tweak it so much as, as, as clarified it, let's say. Right. Uh,
0: I know also originally uh, Justin just had you know, like an escort coming with you and they would just die. And there was no roll. You could not yeah, save them no, in I, any way. There was
1: a lot of that, yeah. Having this sort of one adventure kind of be a little bit like kind of like three, three and a half adventures kind of rolled into quick areas. It does give you that nice feel of of a single episode of gi joe that does happen to go to a lot of places mm-hmm. that are just like oh you just go there you know like you're you're yeah. part of a military organization that has access to planes and stuff like that it is a sort of a nice refreshing uh, thing to come coming say from like fantasy adventures where like to get to a place is an entire adventure practically sometimes right. right no this is just literally going to like bam 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 oh now we've got the information we know where general mayhem is he's in poland go Assault this farm, basically, that he's hiding out on. And you assault the farm Uh
0: and uh, uh take him out. This is a very
1: brief, uh, page-wise, it's only a couple pages, almost a single combat.
0: Yeah, and it introduces the snake armor. This is the first of the three mm-hmm. times the snake armor appears because the snake armor has been used in multiple different ways in different media. So the toy itself is called armor, and mm-hmm. the picture is uh, Storm Shadow is wearing the snake armor. And so mm. it's clearly intended to be just like a like a tiny mech, really. Yeah. But then in the animated series, they just made it a robot. Mm. And there was nobody inside of the mech. And then the comic had Snake Eyes trapped inside. And it was like, he's, mm-hmm. he's being brainwashed. And it's forcing him to automate these, this robot. And any one of those is interesting. But the idea that there's just one thing that does all three of those really yeah. intrigued me. And so I didn't know how often we would use snake armor going forward (laughs) in more adventures. So I was like, we got to make sure we get all three different versions of snake armor represented here. So the snake armor in cybernetic mode shows up here, which is the lowest of the three CRs that this one suit of armor has. And uh, there's a couple of other deep cuts in here. So Gears is a character that that Justin decided to use as an NPC, but he is uh, a member of G.I. Joe in the... uh, the action figure line, I don't think he's ever been adapted to anything because he was like right at the end of the line. And there was already a cast of hundreds by then. (laughs) But also he mentions that there's Techno Vipers and a Techno Viper Officer. And that Techno Viper Officer has like a golden chest plate. So Techno Viper is traditionally silver and purple. Mm. But there was one repaint. Again, around the same... Actually, uh, so Gears and the Techno Viper both came with a mech in like a two... Like, like every now and then, there would be, like, a pair. Here's the G.I. Joe version of this vehicle. Here's the Cobra version of this vehicle. Mm-hmm. Kind of very He-Man-like in how they would just do, like, same concept, but now split good guys and bad guys. And so Gears was in one of those, and the Techno Viper officer was in the other. So he's managed oh, to call cool. out to both ends of that. Nice. Uh, and, yeah, and then in the end, you can just tally up Brickhoff's favor and see which vehicles you get to roll out with.
1: Uh, right. Which
0: does bring us to the the biggest issue unfortunately with the adventure and that is that the polar battle bear stats uh were left out of the adventure
1: yes in the in the layout process unfortunately uh I just got skipped uh,
0: and i didn't notice <laughs> yeah unfortunately i didn't notice either it was one of the readers uh had got it and he's like "Is it just me i can't find the polar battle bear and i was like oh shoot went back through this the vehicle section it's like it's not there. it's not
1: there the, the in in the word document they they're there um, yeah. but it just sort of, I think part yeah, of, okay that's something else I did. I needed no, to make yes. sure it wasn't my fault. Isn't it, yeah. Yeah. Something just sort of, I think partially, uh, I want to say that basically because at some point I didn't put a page reference to it and because mm. I wasn't filling in the page references, which was something that we do once it's been laid out, uh, make sure everything's on the pages and then basically until then everything's just sort of page XX. So I didn't notice that it was missing because I didn't need to put a page reference to it.
0: Yeah, and I can see how that happens cuz it's like they're first referenced at the end of part four, uh, part 3, but yeah. they only come into play in part 4, part so four, yeah. where exactly the page reference would even go is uh, debatable cuz it's like yeah, part 4 just writes the vehicles that are available to you cuz mm. it doesn't assume how yeah. well you did on the breakoff chart. Yeah. Yeah, well. Yeah, so um I I'm sure Renegade is going to rectify this in some <laughs> yes. way. So just for now, Keep an eye. Uh, You might have to give people a snow cat even if they haven't <laughs> earned it. Although, really, the only way you're not earning a snow cat is if you get zero or less uh, <laughs> points to get Brickhoff's favor. So because if,
1: there's ways to get negative points. If you if you I think if you piss him off, he just gets takes the uh, points off.
0: Caught lying to
1: him. You yeah. lose
0: one point per lie, and if you alert the local authorities, you can lose three points. Brickhoff's yeah, if you just go and
1: go with. into that Swiss club and yeah, he
0: doesn't care for that. Oh. And that brings us to Panic in the North Plains. Uh, this is definitely going long. A definitely a long one, for sure.
1: Yeah, no, let's do this. Uh, I, uh, uh, if we do those questions we have at the end, well, maybe we could do them really, really quick or possibly skip them or and talk about them next
0: time. Uh, we only have the four. Anyway, sure. let's see how where we are after the end of Panic in the North Plains. Yep. So uh, Panic in the North Plains is... Very similar in format to Slithering About in that you are in inhospitable environment. You have to navigate it to get to your location. We throw in a vehicle scene here. And then you have the the, the moving about in a single uh, concentrated location before finally having your, your fight scene. Yes. You know what? As I was saying, <laughs> the summary of uh, Frozen Planes, I'm realizing maybe it's not as similar to Slithering About as I thought it was.
1: Yeah. No, there's I mean, what you've got here is a, 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 a interesting and sort of complex uh, a planning, sort of in a way, a, a phase of how you want to get through Siberia after you've done your briefing. Right. Uh, and then you there's a there's a there's a die roll. I think there's just the one. Um, and then there's a big chart. <laughs> uh which compares basically sort of like what's gonna happen what the threat is uh how long it takes you if there's any kind of complications and whatnot so uh it's very it's very interesting it's got a lot of uh, moving pieces it's or it makes the uh, adventure have a lot of variety to it like you said it could be replayed because you could do better on the roll or have different plans or whatever to that give you the bonuses um and so uh, uh I should probably like Maybe, maybe more than one. It's more than one skill test. but Yeah, it's two um, roles. So two everyone roles, yeah.
0: makes two strategic decisions. Right. And uh, it is up to the players to come up with them and then tie them into a skill test, or yeah. they come up with a plan, the GM then assigns it a skill test that makes the most sense. Yeah. And the maybe. difficulty of the role depends on whether it is trying to uh, save time right. to uh, reduce the, the threat of being caught, or if it is trying to do both. And so right. if you were doing one or the other, it's difficulty of 12. If you are trying to make one decision, count towards both, it's difficulty 20. And my favorite thing that I did with this chart is that uh, I used the upshift mechanic, that every success there upshifts the the uh, die of the rolling. So mm-hmm. it basically became a giant skill test. Um, that By now, everyone that's playing this game should be familiar with how upshifts and downshifts work. So mm-hmm. they know that the more... Uh, you know, the more succeed they succeed at these strategic decisions,
1: the right, more right, they get right, their yeah. upshifts. To this, to this sort of overall role, which is almost like a like gaining like gaining victory points, but 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 also more variable.
0: Yeah, and so the more that you are, uh, uh let's see, the safer you want it to be, I believe, the higher the upshift on the threat roll, because by the time you get to the end, there's like no threat at all, mm-hmm. and uh, same thing, yeah, time so. If you're totally focused on one, there'll be probably no threats, but it'll take you forever, and then there are complications yeah. because of that, and vice versa. I, I really, I put a lot of it's, thought into this chart. I'm very proud of it.
1: It is a very good and interesting chart tra- for as a, someone who's you know thinks about ro- running games a lot too. Like this is uh, like fascinating to me, uh, and I, I love the idea of it. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to praise you. It's, just, it's a weirdly not coming up like good praise, but I think, it, I think you did, you think you did a very good job.
0: Thank you. So what's funny is that, other than this compliment that I had to, like, yank out of you,
1: <laughs> I haven't
0: heard a lot of people compliment me on this, and yet there's a sidebar on the next page that people are consistently telling me how amazing this sidebar is. Oh, okay. And it is really just saying, like, hey, if you have some perks that could, in theory, apply thematically, but maybe the mechanical technicalities uh, don't quite work with how this section is going, just mm-hmm. be generous. That's basically yeah. the sum of that sidebar. Yeah. And people are like, yes, this sidebar. <laughs> but
1: I get it. I get it too. Like, I think the people will see how good this chart is in play. Reading the, the sidebar was about before mm. you even begin play. I think it, it comes across as good because there's nothing worse than having a great plan in a role-playing game, having a, and feeling that your character is very skilled at doing these sorts of things and then rolling terribly. Yeah. You know, and, and it just, it just feels Real bad, and it's one of those unfortunate things about certain, you know, about such variableness in a role-playing game. But the sidebar is also good, too. Thank you. (laughs) I also like the sidebar.
0: Excellent. Our friend, Luis, has complimented me before on the Mm -hmm. wordplay that I managed to fit into the sections whenever I do writing for him. Mm -hmm. And, like, how I name things. And I think I have really uh, achieved a new level of wordplay with Armored Slalom. An armored column is the tanks that are running in a row. A slalom is a downhill race, which is what this is. You are driving your tanks Mm -hmm. downhill and passing the multiple, basically like the flags that you would be trying to avoid if you (laughs) are doing a speed run. Um, Yeah, so I turned that into a downhill combat.
1: I did not know that was (laughs) wordplay. Just assume, Jason. I I, I normally do. I do assume, but if it doesn't jump out at me, I'm not going to try to like, you know... Change it so it is more wordplay to me, but I just yeah, it's great. It's it makes sense. It's a slalom. There's are there's 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 you know thing armored vehicles. It makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: I also normally when you're incorporating vehicles into it, you've got the three different ways you can do vehicles. You can do both sides are in vehicles. The PCs are on foot, but the bad guys are in vehicles, and that's really mm-hmm. when the vehicle is the biggest threat. Mm-hmm. And then the most rare is when the PCs are in vehicles and they're going against people on foot because. Then you're just like bowling over them. And that is exactly what this is. This is just delight (laughs) in having a vehicle because the entire last adventure was about earning this vehicle. So this is the time where you get to just show off how powerful you are for the possibly multiple snowcats that you were just using to plow through these helpless cobra (laughs) officers. Exactly. Then we get into the facility for the most part it's fairly standard you're going around this Mm -hmm. facility there's different things you can interact with i love a good environmental interaction yes that's why we've got this giant crane right in the middle i think i've worked some kind of giant crane into every adventure i've written (laughs) hey yeah (laughs) but uh one thing i do want to point out is the shadow man
1: yeah that's really i really enjoy this part too
0: so knowing that this was a, a fifth level adventure i decided okay, well, I'm going to look and see what every role gets at fifth level just to make sure there's an opportunity for them to use their cool new feature. And one of the commando focuses, the the infiltrator, Mm -hmm. gets like this cool climbing bonus and stuff. And it's like, oh, a climbing bonus, eh? And so the Shadow Man subplot, which is basically, if G.I. Joe wasn't here, this would be Die Hard. And this guy would be John McClane. And yeah, the entire thing just came about because I wanted to be able to give Like, not even this entire role, but if you happen to be that role and that specific focus, Mm -hmm. then congratulations. You've got an entire subplot dedicated entirely to this new perk that you've gained.
1: You can climb up there and, you know, try to find the Shadow
0: Man and, and get him on your side. And then finally, we are confronting Scrap Iron. One thing I am curious about is just how much the shadow of Scrap Iron looms over the rest of the adventure series because he is the final boss. Hmm. And I I I'm wondering how well we foreshadowed that or just the yeah. how much it even matters whether we did or not or whether it's just if you know G.I. Joe, you probably recognize scrap iron. This combat is more about the fact that you're fighting like the scrap Dumber. the snake armor in yeah. its uh, greatest form. And then there's a second stage, like very video gamey mm-hmm. boss fight in that there's you fight the snake armor, scrap iron gets out, you fight scrap iron. Yeah. So I am just curious if when people get to the conclusion of this adventure, how much how cool it will be that it is scrap iron because like cold iron is because scrap iron is in the cold. Like the name of the whole adventure is about scrap iron. Uh, Matreshka scrap is about the fact that it's you know matreshka doll is the nesting Mm -hmm. the Russian nesting doll Mm -hmm. and so matreshka the scrap iron is the scrap in the middle of the matreshka doll that is the snake armor. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of things that are GM facing. That are explaining Scrap Iron's role in this. Yes, I I'm curious to I'm I'm actively looking for feedback on people that run this adventure just to see mm-hmm. how people react to the fact that Scrap Iron is the one behind us all.
1: That's a good point. I don't know, yeah, how much is dribbled in. I can't yeah. quite remember exactly if there's any sort of foreshadowing that Scrap Iron is the one behind it all, or you know, the, the, going to be the final boss. But in a way, like you said, it's it's kind of more about that the armor and and. Getting to this facility and sort of finally shutting down the Cobra production of the heavy water enough to be, hey, we, right. we've we won, right? But there's a, there's a conclusion. It kind of could be, you know, uh, 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 I'm sure that the, the, the Joe PCs might not necessarily be super curious about who it is, who they're going to find at the end. They just know that it's Cobra. Like, it, you know, at least we know that it's Cobra, right? you know. That's and not Commander. Honestly, of nowhere.
0: Scrap Iron doesn't have a whole lot of identifying features beyond being a Cobra guy who's anti tank. And so, really, if you just recognize him as, well, that's a Cobra guy that is doing stuff with tanks, then congratulations, you figured out it's Scrap Iron.
1: Terrific.
0: So, that brings us to the end of Operation Cold Iron. There were a couple of questions. I do think we have time for them. And I, oh, wait, uh, anything in the threats section that we need to go over? No, there not are really. All cool the there. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna. Oh, you know what? There's a couple of things about the art I guess we should call out. Oh, do you uh, want so to mention that? Yeah, so, um, Buzzsaw was supposed to be an original character, but the, the art makes him look like Buzzer, who is one of the most identifiable uh dreadnocks. I don't know if GMs are gonna want to do Buzzsaw instead of Buzzer. The problem is that, and maybe it's just a problem to me, in the hierarchy of the Dreadnoughts, Buzzer way outranks Zanzibar and if Zanzibar is supposed <laughs> to be in charge of this mission why is buzzer yeah. answering to him so uh, for those who don't know buzzer's thing is that like most of the dreadnoks are bikers he's a cambridge student who is studying the psychology of bikers and oh. then indoctrinated himself through his studies and so he Good. he joined up and he's generally uh, portrayed as the smart dreadnok and mm. he's usually uh, second in command after uh, zartan until the introduction of zarana but yeah so basically like he's third from the top of the dreadnoks and just saying, like, well, instead of buzz say it's buzzer. I don't, I don't know. And then similarly, we've got uh, Snapper and Razor, which is a dreadnought alligator handler and his alligator. Uh, and they are the art is clearly based on Crocmaster, uh, down to like he's even got the Cobra logo, not a dreadnought logo.
1: Oh yeah, he does, doesn't
0: he? Yeah, um, yeah. It's just. Uh, at some point, someone commissioned art and said, like, Cobra character within an alligator, and I'm not you sure where the communication up, yeah. broke down, but have, yeah, this is a specific character known for his alligators. So now we've got really cool buzzer art and really cool Croc Master art, and just how the adventure uses them is unfortunately not entirely authentic, and the better your players know G.I. Joe, the more they will call out, uh, why is Croc Master with the Dreadnoughts, or... Why are they calling him Snapper when that's clearly Crocmaster?
1: <laughs> He's in disguise, undercover. <laughs>
0: He's got a different black mask over different,
1: his black but mask. this is this is more of a deep, deep blue.
0: Uh, but I'm also happy we've got Techno Viper art uh, because Techno Vipers have shown up in just about every adventure I believe up until this point, and so yeah. it just feels like even if they're not a super popular toy, they're super functional in when you're writing an adventure. You're probably going to want Techno Viper in there. It's true, yeah. All right, yeah, we can move on just to the couple of questions that we got. One of them actually was someone asking, and I don't have this question written down, but um, the deck-building game has also announced their next expansion, which is Cold Snap. And he was like, why all the cold? And was this coordinated or anything? And it really was not. In fact, it probably would have benefited us if we'd done one and then the other, and we could have reused some art. I have a feeling that because they both were in development at the same time, just coincidentally, uh, we lost the opportunity to reuse the art. In fact, Cold Snap is cold, and it has Dreadnoughts. Yeah, as like it introduces sure. Dreadnoughts to the deck building game. So there's a lot of weird crossover. That's just just parallel thinking. We parallel thinking. Yep, not in a bit. Yeah. All right. Uh, Juggernaut wants to know how do you determine requisition limits, and why are they so different? They comment uh, than what's presented in the core rulebook. So the core rulebook says. Yeah, when you were running a requisition phase, if it does not say the maximum number of requisition attempts, assume it is three per player. But these do. So the fact that it's different is just that that is the default fallback on if the adventure doesn't tell you. Like if you're adapting, say, um, uh, Enter the Collection, the generic uh, Essence 20 adventure that came out for Free RPG Day two years ago at this point, that won't necessarily have a requisition phase. So just assume it's three requisition attempts per player. Whereas uh, in this case, we just went with here is the pool, uh, you know, here's, here's the flat number, this is the number of checks you get. And then specifically, it also says the number of them that are available. And for, um, for Slithering About, that's actually a very low, it's like it's a high number of attempts that you can get and a very low number of uh, kits that you can successfully get in the end. And the idea here is that just you're new to the Joes, and so you don't have full access to the armory. You get a lot of chances to prove yourself, so there's like thematic elements to it. And as the adventure goes on, those two numbers start getting a little closer yeah. where it's eventually on par that they assume if you're making a requisition test, you're gonna be able to succeed. And so you get that many attempts and that many that access to that many options. Great. Makes sense. Uh, and Cyclone adds to that, just to be clear, the limits and upgrades only counts for upgrades acquired through the normal requisition system not granted by perks okay yes so yeah um yeah when it says the maximum number this is being requisitioned at the moment so if you get mission critical gear that doesn't count against it and if you get an item from perk also doesn't count against it this is just on top of that when you're going into the scene uh and you're asking for additional equipment uh bk313 so brian asked why did the temperature play such a big role in dalal but not so much in siberia
1: uh it's, it's sort of what i think is that Dalal is the hottest place on earth. Siberia mm-hmm. is not the coldest place on earth. Oh. It's cold for sure. So it's not sort of really stress that hotness in Dalal by worrying about all that temperature. And then Siberia, you're, I guess, when you go to Ethiopia, Dalal, you're like, yeah, it might, you might, it's hot there. Uh, but you're not necessarily knowing that you're going to be heading out of the desert. But when you're heading to Siberia, like, here's some whole heavyweight, you, you're going in the cold. We know where you're going to someplace that's cold. You're, there's nothing but cold out there in Siberia have this heavy heavy um whatever uh w- winter weather gear basically right uh that you get I think is a mission you're, you're given that as part of the rec- yeah uh, of so I I think it's just sort of to to make it so it's not it's that's not the interesting part in a way right the cold of Siberia is not the interesting part about the Siberia it's about the snow and the vehicles and stuff like that so that's what I think what would you say
0: so I would say it was just that it not necessarily the cold, but the environment does play a major role in both of the adventures. It's yeah. just how Ben Page, how Ben and Page versus I chose yeah. to present it. Um, in that theirs was more about uh, modifiers and you know mm-hmm. having to figure out specific ways to avoid the penalties that you're getting. Whereas uh, it's the the march to Siberia is the entire scene about like you're in a really inhospitable environment. How are you going to deal with that? And yeah,
1: true.
0: Both of them assume. That you are not in an ideal situation right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Uh, finally, Juggernaut has one more question, and I saved this one for last because uh, it's the heaviest one. But mm. do real-world situations impact the writing? For example, was there any concern about including the October Guard given the Russian invasion of Ukraine? And uh, the answer is yes. This was written before the invasion happened, although obviously uh, you know, Vladimir Putin has been on most people's villain lists, yeah. real-world villain lists for a while now. Uh, but specifically, one of the things that came up is that uh, General Mayhem is actually a uh, Ukrainian. The idea that you are siding with a Russian military force against a Ukrainian man, even if it's someone that is no longer uh, in Ukraine and has clearly thrown in with Destro and is right, clearly a bad guy. Yeah. yeah, there was just some, some awkwardness. And uh, really, the conversation was like, this is written. These are major elements of this adventure, so it's not an easy fix. easy fix. We can either completely just scrap the idea that this is the October Guard, genericize it, and people can replace the generic versions with the actual October Guard if they are okay with that, or we just uh, lean on the fact that this is well-established, canonical characters, and um, just, just hope that it doesn't get too awkward. But uh, it definitely... It it didn't impact the writing because, again, the writing happened first, but there was definitely then conversations of what do we do about this? We've got this, you know, real world, volatile element. And you know what? We had a whole episode about this a couple of episodes ago. So if you want to get into that conversation, we we get into it in a lot more detail over
1: there. Indeed. But it's good to have those conversations, too, though, in general, when you're after even after, you know, oh, we've written some and then and then the real world has changed to make this, you know, an awkward thing to bring up at a gaming table you know to have those conversations
0: yep all right well that brings us to the conclusion of our first breakdown these are very long episodes Jason so I don't know how we <laughs> how we're gonna be doing these fair enough there won't be that many books do you think that uh, we gave valuable insight to anyone that is yep. interested in either um, running this adventure writing their own adventures or even possibly writing for Renegade like the I think We covered a lot of ground. So even though we we had to tell some of the audience, they could not listen this far into the episode. I think there is a lot uh, that the audience that was allowed to stay by got out of it.
1: I hope so. And thanks for sticking with us.
0: No shout outs today, just because we just do not have time to fit them in. That's fair. All right. Well, if you want to find more great gaming podcasts, you can go to nerdirectionpodcast.com. We have almost daily podcasts, either news reviews, interviews type shows, uh, conversational shows like uh, like Jason's Digital Divination that he runs with John God- Godek, or we have daily blogs uh, and actually uh, and we have actual plays. That's the third kind of podcast we have. We also have <laughs> daily blogs that uh, give insight into designing or playing role playing games, jamming them. It is not just Essence Twenty content, but really a lot of it universally applies across the board. Also, thank you to our patrons. You can find out more at Patreon.com/slash No Direction. We are bringing back the live shows that are exclusive to the patrons. The first new one was this past Wednesday. So it's Hmm. this coming Wednesday for us, Jason. But for our listeners, they will only have heard about this uh, when it's too late to join us. But you can still go to patreon.com slash no direction and throw in any amount of money that you would not miss and that you think would would help us out. And finally, thank you to Word Burglar for letting us use Letters from Snake Eyes Volume 4. You can find out more at wordburglar.com. Until next time, I'm Ryan Costello.
1: And I'm Jason Keogh.
0: We'll see you in two weeks for the next episode of Option. Our theme song is Letter from Snake Eyes number four by WordBurglar. To find it and other amazing tracks, go to wordburglar.com. This has been a No Direction Network production. To find more great gaming podcasts, visit nodirectionpodcast.com.